1: Gary Parrish, welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss Camel Fighting, Dota Birds and Leaky Black Matt Norlander. Is here with me. If you're watching us on YouTube, please go ahead and smash that like button like your Brandon Davies. You you have consent and if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please Pretty pleased. Knock that out while you're here. Okay, let's get into it. The most surprising result so far this week came Tuesday night in Milwaukee. Final score: Marquette ninety-six, number six Baylor seventy. It was a blowout at Five Serve Forum. I'm honestly not surprised that Marquette won the game, but anytime a, a six-point underdog wins by twenty-six points, that's a thirty-two-point swing that nobody could have reasonably predicted. Dead leg. First question. Mm. Did you learn more about Marquette or more about Baylor in those lopsided forty minutes Tuesday night?
0: This is a Marquette situation the whole way, and I uh, I will listen. Longtime listeners know uh, the one school you hate is Marquette, um, and I uh, and I underrated Marquette going into the season. So, a culpa right off the top here because I had Marquette outside. She's outside my top eighty. Maybe outside of my top. Sounds 90. like sounds like you hate Marquette. I decided to take up the mantle after. (laughs) I'm going to find somebody new to hate. Who could I hate? Who could I hate next? Uh, You 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 think about that. There the options seem plentiful. To be honest (laughs) with you, there's a lot of there. There are. um, But Marquette six and two. This is far and away the best win. Nothing else comes close. The closest thing is beating Georgia Tech last week um, in the uh, Fort Myers MTE. Doesn't really qualify as a big win. Uh, home win and a runaway route. Just outrageous. Um, Marquette's now in multiple predictive metrics. Top 40 level at uh, Ken Palm specifically, which uh, we know and love and hold dear to our hearts here on the podcast. 33rd. And it sets up. We'll talk about this on the Friday episode, but it does set up a really intriguing home tilt for Marquette against Wisconsin going into the season, though Wisconsin wasn't expected to be. Near what it was last season, I think most people thought the Badgers would still probably be a little bit better than Marquette, but that's not looking like the case right now. A Baylor's certainly a little bit of concern. In fact, I saw this last night. I wanted to bring this up real quick, I actually. Uh, I think I saw it on SVP Sports Center. The stat here was, yeah, this is wild. So Baylor's had four losses while ranked in the top 10 of 18 or more points. This was the worst ever. Uh, In 2022, it lost by 24, so earlier this year. 2017, it lost by 21 to West Virginia. And then in 2012, it lost to Kansas by 18, just as it did earlier this year, losing to Kansas by 24 points. But the 26-point margin is the largest ever. Baylor has played 152 games as a ranked top 10 team. Uh, I think all of those, maybe with the exception of one or two, literally, I'm not exaggerating, have been under Scott Drew. But man, oh man, GP, what I thought it was way more about Marquette and what Shaka Smart was able to do there. Big gains for that program and kind of another really good result for the Big East, which is off to a fairly decent start here in November.
1: I think it said more about Marquette than it said about Baylor, but I do think it says something about Baylor as well. We'll get to that in a moment. I want to focus on on Marquette. You know, as, as seasons unfold, um you you can reach points where <clears throat> you look back and you go, okay, wow that was more impressive than it seemed at the time. And it can reshape the way you think about a basketball team. And I think Marquette's a great example of that right now. What I'm talking about is, um, you know, Marquette um, has a close loss at Purdue on its resume. Marquette's 6-2 and two with this 26.1 over Baylor and then close losses to Purdue and Mississippi State. The Purdue game was at Mackey. And, you know, they, they lose by five. And at the time, it's like, okay, it's a Chaka smart team that went to Purdue. Purdue is, you know, going to be top 25-ish. And they played them close and whatever. And you really didn't even, like, if you thought about it that much, oh, yeah. y- you you probably had to be a Purdue fan or a Marquette fan. It was a total, for the most part, off-the-radar game. How about this? Do you even remember that game? I remember it well.
0: You remember it well. I remember it like it was <laughs> yesterday. Okay. I like, I don't, if I were to try to tell you what happened You're in that like, like game. I didn't realize that was a thing until I looked it up the schedule this morning. No,
1: no. I mean, I knew that was I, a thing, but if you tried to tell me, if you tried to say like, okay, well, like, what? hey, GP, what happened in that game? I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened in that game, but we know a lot more about Purdue today than we knew about Purdue on the day that game was played yeah. because Purdue has subsequently blown out Gonzaga by 18 points blown out Duke by 19 points on neutral courts in Portland. You were there for that. And so now this five point loss at Purdue, listen, nobody celebrates losses, but it looks like a, like a, that's a pretty good loss. And then the other one is to Mississippi state. And again, at the time you're like, uh, Chris Jansen, and you're one, should, you really be using, losing that Mississippi state's seven and to0 And do you know, performing well in the computers. And so this morning I made some big adjustments to the top 25 and one I'm, I moved Mississippi state up and this almost never happens. Mississippi state didn't play yesterday. I took them from unranked up to number 21 because Mississippi state is now a seven and O team with a win over the Marquette team that just blasted Baylor. Like if I'm going to keep Baylor in the rankings and I'm going to move Marquette into the rankings, it, it is intellectually, uh, silly, to not have the undefeated Mississippi state team that beat Marquette in those same rankings. So I moved Mississippi state up to 21. Marquette is now 22 Baylor down to 23. And you could be dismissive of all of this. If Baylor had done nothing all season, you'd be just like, well, you know, maybe Baylor's just not good, but Baylor did beat UCLA and UCLA is a quality team. So, So what Marquette did to Baylor is impressive. What Mississippi State did to Marquette is impressive. And I think Shaka Smart's got a team that is going to probably play in the 2023 NCAA tournament. It's early. These things can take a lot of twists and turns, you know. But it looks like a team that's going to play in the 2023 NCAA tournament. And I'm not sure most people would have predicted that, say, four weeks ago.
0: Picked a bad time to start coughing there at the end of your little uh, segment there. Take it away, JP. I got to hit the cough button here real quick. (laughs) That's
1: right. If you're looking for individual stuff, Olivier Maxson's Prosper might be having a breakout season for Marquette. He got 24 points, 5 rebounds Tuesday night against Baylor and is now averaging a team-best 14.1 points and 5.4 rebounds per game. This is a third-year player. I don't think his name's ever been said on this podcast until just now. He's a third-year player from Canada started his college career at Clemson, transferred to Marquette, only averaged 6.6 points last season for the Golden Eagles. Uh, Again, now averaging a team best 14.1. So he seems to have made a jump. And Brian Hamilton, our buddy from The Athletic, he was in for Forum last night, had a nice column uh, about the game. And one of the points he made, and I I think this is something that even Shaka Smart would tell you is, is probably true. One of the points Brian made is that it looks like maybe Shaka is better with three and four year guys that become a real part of your program and buy in than he is with one and done guys like some of the guys he got at Texas. Um, and, and and I've always thought this is an interesting dilemma from some coaches. Like you get a job like the VCU job. That was Shaka's first head coaching opportunity. And he obviously did incredible things there. And you, you build that program and you have, you know, real, you know, in, in Chaka's case, unprecedented levels of success, taking VCU to a final four, you build it with a certain type of player and a certain type of approach, because those are the types of players that you can get at that level of college basketball. But, boy, you build it into something that is consistently good, which is what Shaka did at BCU. And then you get a big boy job like the Texas job, right? And now, you know, all these five-star one-and-dones are available to you. Now, these aren't the type of guys you've been winning with, but now they're available to you. They want to come to the University of Texas where Kevin Durant played and TJ Ford played. So you take them. Obviously, you take them. But then just something's missing as you try to – build these teams and establish a foundation, a culture for your program. Like some of the stuff that made you so great that you get the Texas job is now no longer a part of your program at Texas. And it can be a little up and down. And I think an accurate way to label Chaka's time in Austin was, you know, some ups and some downs. It was a bit all over the place, falling short of what, most Texas fans wanted, which is among the reasons, you know, he left Texas for Marquette, but now he's back at Marquette where I'm not saying you can't get a five-star guy, but that's not typically the type of player that Marquette enrolls. So now he's back to, to building teams that look more like his VCU teams Um, assembling rosters that look, yeah, better, but something similar to those VCU rosters. And, and they're, you know, according to Shaka, you can read about this in Brian Hamilton's story, um you know he's got guys who are really bought in you know is this the most talented team he's ever had probably not but they are bought in and they they do they're they're coachable they do what he asks and and they they play hard and that was all on display against Baylor other coaches have gone through this by the way um Billy Donovan was a great example you know was recruiting just like the best five stars he could get at Florida and um, was largely falling short of expectations with those rosters. And then, you know, he, Joe Kim Noah was not a five-star guy. I don't think Al Horford was a five-star guy. I believe Corey Brewer probably was. But when Billy won back-to-back national titles, it was with rosters that, based on recruiting rankings, weren't what he had previously enrolled. Scott Drew went through a stretch at Baylor where he was getting five-star guy here, five-star guy there. And it just wasn't happening for whatever reason not to the level at which you you would hope. And then, you know, he stops recruiting at the level at which he was recruiting previously, starts getting guys that are better fits for what he's trying to do, and establishes Baylor as one of the most consistently great programs in America. And so all of that is just, um, you know, things that I thought about, noticed last night while watching that game. Like, Shaka looks more comfortable coaching this kind of team then he seen coaching at least some and perhaps most of his Texas teams. And he seems to really like the group of guys he's got right now. And, uh, and they, 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 have been impressive so
0: far. Did you happen to catch that? I think it was the second TV timeout. What, uh, what the Fox sports one cameras caught in the huddle. there were shocking the team. I did not see that. Keep in mind, I'm, I'm juggling, uh, my little guy just got
1: his tonsils removed, so we're all over the place in this house these days.
0: Here's um, I have it here. What was it? Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. And then a little bit of a see? 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 <laughs> great stuff, Jock. And Now I will note this: um, they were abnormally good from the field last night. Yes, forty-eight percent from three. Marquette's not a good three-point shooting team so far this season. It bumped their average to 33.6% by nature of having that good of a night. So they were actually even worse. They were sub one eighty nationally in three point accuracy before the Baylor game. So uh, now they've been really good from two point range. They've been top 20 level and they were, they were good again. They were 23 to 35 inside the three point arc. So we'll see if that can continue. We'll see. Um, it, it, I do think they are tracking toward being an NCAA tournament type of team. This kind of win will go a long way toward that. No doubt about it. Um, but right now, all their wins are at home, uh, with the exception of Baylor against non-tournament teams, and then they're one and one on a neutral um, with the win over Georgia Tech. So they'll, I think, they can get there, and we'll see with the Wisconsin game this weekend. That'll certainly be a good one. They also have to go to Notre Dame on the road in uh, in about a week and a half here. So we'll see. And then quickly on Baylor, uh, to this point. Keontae George has not been the player that we said he would be, Parrish. I mean, he's been he's been solid. Like, you know, he's had, you know, a couple of 20 point games against McNeese State last week. He went for he went for 17, but on on Tuesday night, I mean, he had 12 points on five of twelve shooting, a couple of rebounds, four turnovers, you know, was that under a point per possession there. So he hasn't been uh high, high level yet. And then Jalen Bridges has also been, uh, I don't think has been as good as Drew and the staff thought he would be on both ends of the floor. Cryer and Flagler have had their moments. They weren't, you know, they were, they were solid enough, I guess. Defensively, they're, they're weak. And that's the other thing. It's actually talking with the coach in Portland about this thing on Baylor. I don't even know how we got to talking about Baylor, but, um, you know the expectation is Baylor will be a Big Twelve contender and will be pretty good, but there's actually a little bit of curiosity over if this team in the backcourt can be as defensively tough and reliable as the teams in recent seasons have had have been because Cryer and Flagler they're a little undersized and they are not Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell from a defensive standpoint they just aren't uh, even they would have to admit that there so it's it's just an early sign you know Baylor five and two preseason top five team in the eyes of some and. Has a nice win over UCLA, a competitive loss against Virginia, now lost at Marquette. Um, we'll talk about this on the Friday podcast, but we actually have a... It makes the Friday matchup against Gonzaga in South Dakota all the more intriguing because one of those teams now, by nature of Baylor losing, is going to going to leave as a three-loss program uh, he- heading into the weekend there. Yeah. And Gonzaga and Baylor both, uh, both have had reasons to... Smile, but also to have a little bit of concern this early, and they're both still trying to figure a lot out.
1: Um the guards have, like you said, been you know, Keontae George hasn't been what we thought, but he's been good. Solid. Let's just call him solid. Yeah. LJ Cryer he's the
0: freshman of the year. He has not right. been he's so
1: he's not that right now. Um LJ Cryer's been good. Adam Flagler's been good. So the guards, I said in the offseason, Baylor might have the best three guard lineup in the country. And I'm sure you can statistically find uh, back courts that are better, but like I, I, I'm not ready to move off of that just yet. The front court, though, is lacking. You know, last season, you go look at Baylor's front court minutes, you had Jeremy Sohan, Matthew Meyer, Jonathan Chamwa Sohan's now in the NBA. Meyer transferred to Illinois. JTT's hurt. You know, West Virginia transferred Jalen Bridges, like you said, isn't giving them much. BYU transfer Caleb Lohner isn't giving them much. Flo Thamba, he just is what he is. And so Baylor's front court has been a problem and could be a problem all season. Uh, And and this is where in in, uh, combination with the guards being little, you can have some real defensive problems. You know, these Baylor teams that have gotten one seeds or been in position to get a one seed, won a national championship, past three teams, have all finished top 25 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Right now, this team is 75th in adjusted defensive efficiency. And if the front court is a problem, then about the last thing you want to do is take a beating like that Tuesday night and then have to deal with Drew Timmy. <laughs> Gonzaga's all-American front court player. But that's what's on tap. And so yeah, I actually do think what happened Tuesday night um makes Friday's Gonzaga uh, uh, Baylor game bigger than it otherwise would be because these are two of the best programs in America, two future Hall of Fame coaches, two preseason top 10 teams, and one of them, you know, come Friday night is going to is going to be a three-loss
0: team. Thats right all right, GP. We had a pretty pretty noisy Tuesday. What's next on the docket? Well, we have a developing story in college park,
1: Maryland seven and zero under first year coach Kevin Willard, seven double digit victories. We're gonna talk Terrapins next, but first, a word from our partners.
2: At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: So Maryland's now 7-0 under first-year coach Kevin Willard. Seven double-digit victories. Ter- Terrapins are the latest team to absolutely embarrass Louisville. Beat the Cardinals 79-54 on Tuesday night. Are you you buying Maryland as a Big Ten contender in year one with Kevin Willard, or is it too early for that?
0: How about that? Uh I know you and KB talked uh, plenty about the PK85 stuff, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat that on this pod. But um, with the Big Ten race not yet officially starting, this will actually start Friday when we've got a, a very big we got a lot of stuff. We got some Friday games to talk about on the Friday pod, man. going to play at Maryland. Uh, a couple of really good teams right now, but right now early, uh, we we'll, and we're gonna talk Hoosiers in just a minute here. They've got a big game on Wednesday, but Purdue Maryland. Illinois, Indiana, feel like the top four. Although, you know, listen, I'm not going to put Iowa. We'll see Michigan State's hampered with some injuries right now. But we knew the, the Big Ten would get interesting in a hurry. It actually has. Good on Maryland. What a nice little start here for Willard. I think I mentioned four or five episodes ago when they got off to a four and zero start. I think he was the first Maryland coach I think to ever start four zero or five and zero. Now yeah, he's he, a, he keeps
1: being he keeps being the first Maryland every game you get the notes.
0: He's the first Maryland coach to ever do what he just did. And Dante Scott has been uh, terrific. He was on my preseason list, of top one hundred and one players. There, uh, senior has continued to be you know just a, a good uh, you know power wing threat if you will uh because he's he's a big but he's you know he's 6 230 225 230 and he's shooting 43 percent from three-point range this season and he kind of makes it all come together for the turps there but it, this is a roster for the most part like i would think and if you're a if you're a podcast listener and you're a maryland fan you're familiar with the roster if you're a die-hard college basketball fan you might be familiar with the roster but you know here are, the, here are the names of the dudes that are wearing Terps threats this season. Hakeem Hart, Julian Reese, Jameer Young. Do you know these names? I mean, Jameer Young didn't even play for Maryland last season. Willard, obviously, in, in getting this job, you know, he had to work the portal. Brings in some new guys. Donald Carey brings him over. Previously at Georgetown, you know, following the uh, following Kudus Wahab transfer uh, situation, although we'll hop and back to Georgetown there. But there's there's a lot of guys that are unfamiliar, probably even to casual Maryland fans at this point. And the schedule hasn't been world-beating, but neutral wins over St. Louis and Miami up here in my state, nutmeg state of Connecticut. That's nice. And then, you know, I guess, you know, winning at Louisville is nothing, but you did it on the road and you did It was like a no-doubt about it. Like, it wasn't one of those, eh, they messed around and, like, Maryland won by seven. <laughs> you know, they, they should have won by 27. So... They've looked uh, they've looked solid so far, and if nothing else, have given that fan base real reason to get really hyped for the Friday night matchup. And we'll preview that on the Friday episode. But that Illinois game it's 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 uh, it's refreshing to see you know just a, a little bit of injection of some new storylines here, and the Terps are are looking good. And Willard, who was long connected to that job before he actually took it, as immediately made a difference there and uh vibes are great right now in college park. It,
1: this is maybe my favorite thing about college basketball. Um like we we can talk about this stuff all off season and god knows we did. And then you get 3 weeks into the season and it's just like what's the biggest storylines? Purdue looks amazing with two wow. freshman guards. Right? Nobody could have ever said in this off season. I don't care how smart you think you are. <laughs> Purdue is going to be amazing with two freshman guards you've never really heard of unless you live in the state of Indiana.
0: Right. On that note, real quick, I did add, cause this was in one of my notebooks there. I did ask painter after Friday's win over Duke, when they destroyed him, I was like, did you, did you, did you really think like, if I had gone to you in October, like, did you really think lawyer and Braden Smith would be, I didn't finish my question. He looked me and I goes, yes, oh, yes, completely. Yeah. So painter knew it. Nobody else did.
1: Yeah. So like you look up now and like Purdue's an amazing story. Maryland is an amazing story. If you follow the top 25 and one all off season, one of the points I consistently made to Illinois fans, including our colleague Tom Finelli, is that even if I had Illinois lower than some, maybe most, I I thought the top six or so of the top six or seven of the big 10 could reasonably go in almost any order. And the truth is I didn't have Maryland in that group at all. I don't think anybody did. And yet here they are. Terrapins 7-0. and And it's not just 7-0. and It's seven double-digit victories. They're, they're killing everybody. You know, you, you mentioned them beating uh, St. Louis. Beat St. Louis by 28. Now that's a St. Louis team that has beaten Memphis. And Memphis looks solid. It's a St. Louis team that went to Auburn and played Auburn tight. Um, Auburn is obviously good and Maryland beat that team's brains in um and and then you know beat Miami by 18 and so they've gone from 56 to 18th at Kenpom uh through these seven games which means they're not just winning they're obviously performing at a high level as well and I've got them, Up to 20th in the top 25 and one. So this is, you know, again, it's early and they're going into a tough league schedule soon. But if you're a Maryland fan who was hoping Kevin Willard can return you to some level of of prominence, then the, the early returns literally could not be better than what they are right now.
0: They could not. Jameer Young, as I mentioned before, he's been uh, he's been a, a valuable addition to that. And by nature of Illinois' just runaway win over Syracuse, 73-44 home win, uh, which also, I had that game on. I was like, this, I'm getting a weird vibe off this. Like, Syracuse on the road against Illinois in November? Like, it looked weird. Turns out it was the first time those programs had faced each other since the Elite Eight in 1989, the year that Illinois obviously made a push to... Uh, to the title game there, but Illinois got the, the runaway win to remain, uh, will not remain unbeaten. They've got the, they've got the loss to Virginia, which also won. All these things are connected. Uh, Virginia gets the win uh, on the road against Michigan there. So uh, the big 10 is, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little jumble at the top. I actually think, uh, give it another, like another two, three weeks. I think it might have it now. It's got a bigger league volume wise than the big 12. So the big 12 will probably rate better but like one through 10 big 10 might have a chance to be eye to eye with the big 12 kind of wait and see on that. But I think there's, I think there's a chance at least with the early returns. Again, you a few more games and non-conference played before we can definitively make that case overall. But right now to this point in the season, big 12, big 10, I think are are comfortably the two best leagues in the country and, you know, performances from Maryland speak to that.
1: How about this? The big 10 right now has 11 teams ranked in the top 50 at Ken Palm.
0: Didn't even realize that. Yeah, there you go.
1: 11 teams between 7 and 49. If you want the spe- specifics, Purdue is 7, Indiana's at 10, Illinois at 15, Maryland at 18, Ohio State at 20, Iowa at 23, Michigan State at 30, Penn State at 35, Rutgers at 36, Wisconsin at 45, and Michigan at 49. And so those teams, um, um. Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan all remain in the top 50, even though they all took um, close, tough losses um, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Penn State went to, I think, double overtime at Clemson and lost. By definition, that's a close one. Um, Wisconsin, uh, like Tyree Appleby, uh, Florida transfer who's now at Wake Forest, went big, got 32 points. Led with uh, led Wake Forest to a win at Wisconsin, and then Virginia, like you mentioned, uh, that that's the team that topped Michigan on the road. You know, Jet Howard had a like, well, he had the ball at the buzzer. He didn't really get a shot off. Uh, Virginia really t- yeah. bottled him up, and it was. I'll be honest, if I was watching in real time, it looked like a foul. Ah.
0: Um,
1: it, no, in real time, like in, on my first look. I was like, because what I saw, what I saw in real time was ball go up, arm stay down, and that is typically that's how that happens. Ball goes up, arm stays down. Somebody got your arm, but you went back and looked at it in slow motion from different angles. I thought it was a good non-whistle, and so Virginia gets out of there with a with with a big win. Uh, But but so so you've got their Wisconsin losing. Penn state losing Michigan losing, but they still all remain in the top 50 at Ken Palm. So the big 10's got 11 teams in the top 50 at Ken Palm. I do want to circle back real quick to this Maryland thing. And I promise we're not going to talk about this every show. We're not going to talk about this every week, but it is a national story and a significant college basketball story. I had somebody tweet me, I guess yesterday and, and say, "When when is Louisville being bad going to stop being a story? Oh, okay. Well, we'll never, Just like when Kentucky's bad, it's a story. When Duke is bad, it's a story. This is one of the biggest basketball programs uh, in this country. And they're now 0-7. I think everybody knows the the facts now. Only the second power conference team in the past 40 years to start a season 0-7. The other is this season's Cal team. So we went like 39 years without this ever happening. And now Cal and Louisville – um, are both 0 and seven from power conferences this season. The Cardinals, they've lost their four games against power conference opponents by an average of 25.5 points. I mean, they're getting destroyed every time they step on a court with a comparable conference team. They started the season 91st at Kenpom, down to 185. That's a 94 spot drop in a three week span. That's incredible. And now Ken Palm has Louisville projected as an underdog in every game going forward except three. And those three are home games against Florida A&M, Lipscomb, and Florida State, which is also surprisingly bad. Um, they're going to be underdogs based on current projections in every other game. Serious question. And I ask this from an honest place. If Kenny Payne really goes like 4-27 and 27 in the regular season, can they bring him back?
0: They can. I know they can. I think they will. Uh, former player, you know, notably the first black coach of Louisville men's basketball, which uh, has r- significant meaning to many in that area. Now they they need him to win games, and know? all of this plays into it.
1: By the way, anybody who tells you it doesn't is 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 lying, because you know, let's just let's just play through this. You fire Kenny Payne after one year, you you I, I don't know that these people will be right, but here's what they'll say. You wouldn't have done that to a white coach. That will be said. And so that's something that that's just part of the it's part of the conversation.
0: I do not think he will be. It would have to be. I mean, if we really get to a point where we're at the end of the season and Louisville finishes with four wins. Four wins. You know, I don't I, by the way, I don't think that's out of the question right it's now. It's not. And that is just such an abject disaster that my answer could change if that is the reality when we get to the first week of March, but I think he's getting, I don't know, put me at 98.5% that he will get a second year. And I know it's terrible right now. It's terrible right now, but I, as long as nothing off the court materializes or anything like that, and we're just talking about game results, I think he gets a second season uh, because of who he is and what he means to that program and, and his history there and within the state and all that stuff, I just, uh, it would be hard for me to to see him getting fired. But, but again, like we really do get to the end of the season and Louisville has four wins. And I guess nothing should be off the table at that point.
1: They've been so bad, Louisville, that the computers can't even keep up with it. My point being this Kim Palm had Maryland projected as a 10 point winner at Louisville, and the betting markets made Maryland a 13 point favorite. Unless there's like injury, suspension, stuff like that, uh, the, the, the the number in the betting markets doesn't usually move that much away from what Kimpom projects. And yet, I think what the betting markets realized on some level is the computers cannot properly account for yet just how bad this basketball team is. So we're going to add three points to this and make it Maryland minus 13. And then Maryland goes. And wins the game by 25. I mean, these scores are outrageous. Lose to Arkansas, 80-54. Lose to Texas Tech, 70-38. Lose to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's like probably not even an NCAA tournament team. 81-62. Lose to Maryland, 79-54. When you are getting beat this badly, it means one of two things. Either your roster is so inferior to everybody you're playing. Which I just fundamentally don't think is true. I don't think the roster is good. It ain't this bad, but 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 that's one explanation for it. The other explanation is that you, you you're not doing the job, and and I, I am scared for Louisville fans that we might find out a combination of those two things has really torpedoed this whole thing. And here's the the truth: no matter what the explanation is, if it's a roster problem or a coaching problem, they both fall on the same guy. This is this is unimaginably bad, and and I don't think it's crazy to think they might win like four games, five games, the entire season. And if it's four or five wins and a string of twenty point losses, then I I think you got to make some real, real hard decisions. And I, I I guess if I were if I had to bet my four hundred one k right now. I'd say he's back for a second year, but I'd rather just not bet and and watch it play out because I'm not certain of that at all.
0: Yeah, it's uh, because they've been so bad. It has become a sideshow. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll wait and see. But yeah, Louisville games have gone from this weird like non-event because they're bad to like they're so bad. Like, I don't think they've covered in a game yet this season. Uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's awful.
1: And the reason, by the way, that power conference teams never start 0 and 7, regardless of how bad they are, is because you've got bye games yeah. in your top, in your first seven games that you're just going to win. Or at least you're not going to lose them all. Yeah. But Louisville lost them all.
0: On that note, uh, just a couple quick, a uh, couple quick pieces to pick up from Tuesday night. Um, we'll talk. Well, real real uh, quick.
1: Let me say one more thing. Let okay. me say one more thing on this. Then we'll move on. I promise. Okay. Um, somebody in the comments says, I, I don't think you can fire a coach after one season without misconduct. I would, I would just ask why, why can't you, you know, if you, and, and this isn't just a basketball thing, this could be uh, a talk show host thing or, uh, an anything, it, 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 if you hire somebody Under the idea that they can do A, B, and C, but then you get them and you see it up close and you go, they can't do this job. Then what is the point of doing a second year? If you reach the, and I'm not saying I or anybody else should have or has reached that conclusion about Kenny Payne. But if you do reach that conclusion, after one season, this guy's been on campus for a year. We've watched him run his program. We've watched him run practices. We've watched him coach games. He cannot do the job. If you reach that conclusion after one year, not only should you make a change after one year, you'd be crazy not to. And so that's why I wouldn't take it off the table because we could get to a point where the Louisville administration just goes, we love this guy and we wanted this to work, but it is undeniable at this point that he's ill-equipped to do the job. And we can't go forward with this. This basketball program means too much to this university and this the city to go forward with this. I, I just I'm not saying he will or should get fired after one year. I'm just saying there is absolutely a realistic scenario where you can do it and it would be the only
0: intelligent option you got. The inverse of this right now is happening in the SEC for Missouri fans hoping to get some love. It, Check in next Friday. They're eight. And I just wanted to mention, they they won in OT against Wichita State. It was Mizzou's first game away from its home arena. Now, got an OT win at Wichita State. It's a road win. They'll play South, Southeast Missouri State on Sunday. That should get them to 9-0. and Next Saturday, December 10, is the biggie against Kansas. So we'll save our Mizzou talk, but I at least wanted to acknowledge the fact that Louisville has yet to win a game. Mizzou, which has played a very easy schedule. Very, very, and understandably easy. Dennis Gates just got there. Um, Eight and zero, got a win on Tuesday night. Uh, Good on them. Um, uh, Real quick on the Virginia Michigan game because only it was just it was really really good. Um, I didn't think it was a foul at the end there. Virginia still six and zero, obviously ranked um, high in the polls. Third third GP, where are they in your top twenty five and one? Uh, what what team are we talking about? Virginia. I'm sorry. I was
1: literally texting my wife saying Virginia. Somebody is down. Somebody's too loud in this house right now. I don't know who it is. Um, I got Virginia up to number five.
0: Okay. Yeah. So Virginia's, you know, in that top five realm. I just thought that was, a. they've gotten wins away from home at this point. against Baylor, Illinois, Michigan. Don't know if Virginia has the best resume of any team in the country, but obviously it's near the top there. And as I was watching that game, you know, last night, um, I just, I kept thinking like, yeah, this team, I don't know if they'll get the final four, but you know what? More and more. mm mm-hmm Yeah, this is going to be a group that I think is certainly capable of doing it. Reese Beekman told you guys he was going to be really, really, really good this season. And damn, is he good. He is an excellent defender. He's shooting 50. Now he's only taking 14 threes, but shooting 57% from three-point range. Right now, Virginia has five players, really four or five players that that are shooting better than 40% from three so far. the Cavaliers rank third nationally in three-point accuracy. So if that's going to be the case and they're going to be a top 10 defense, then look the hell out. So uh, you know, a little bit of love there. Michigan, you know, a hard-fought game. Yes, Michigan is going to regret not getting that win. Um, but Virginia played really, really well. And the Wolverines to this point are five-and-two. That's super bizarre. Arizona State loss and lost at home to Virginia. Next, Michigan will get Kentucky. Uh, This Sunday, we'll preview that one. That's the game happening in London. On the Arizona State note, did you see the Marcus Bagley tweets? Yes, he's fired up. So just real quick on that one. It it just it's bizarre. Um, I don't know how I don't know if I've ever seen something like this. So Bagley got set. Now, Marcus Bagley's younger brother to to Marvin Bagley has been at Arizona state and he has, he like had a, obviously a very good reputation coming out of high school for how good of a player was projected pro all that stuff. And he has just dealt with, he's dealt with a lot of injuries throughout the course of his career. And this season he hasn't, he hasn't played a ton. And so a few days ago he tweeted, all right, I'm going to read these three Bagley tweets. Um, I don't know if they're still up shouts to Sam Vicini. We'll see if we can get him on the pod before this episode wraps, but he screen grabbed it. So I'm just going to his account. So on November 27, Bagley tweets, I usually don't address locker room situations to media, but for some reason, people are not being transparent to my fans and friends that are concerned. The reason I'm not playing has nothing to do with my basketball, with basketball or my ability. After my last game, I played versus NAU Within Arizona. Out of some frustration, I made a mistake and said some things to Coach Hurley that I shouldn't <laughs> have said. Side note, GP, how do we think that went in the locker room was against uh, against Danny Hurley? Probably not that well. uh, Continuing, me not playing is 100% punishment for what I said that day. Again, I am 100% healthy and eager to play. Two days pass. Last night, he quote tweets his own tweet and says, I was just suspended for this tweet for admitting I made a mistake. Three minutes later, athletes and that's in all caps please 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 make a well thought through decision where you go to school these people will tell you anything to build you up just <laughs> to tear you down if this dude got suspended for the first week <laughs> is he ever gonna is he ever gonna play for Bobby Hurley again he should be done i would think i don't know I, how you this is this this is uh this is that me- <laughs> What's that meme with the leopard face eating? What? Like, I didn't think the leopard would eat my face. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? I don't get this. Or the other meme, what are you going to do? Stab me? Quote, man, that got stabbed. What is this? If you got suspended for the first tweet, this is one of those things where he just feels empowered. I'm going to amplify this. I don't think this is okay. And I'm going to put my coach on blast. Well, you can do that. That's fine. Hurley's on the hot seat at Arizona State. If they don't make the tournament, I do think he will get fired. He's not in the greatest situation there overall. Could probably use Bagley more than not use him. Although the argument could be made, they've actually been a little bit better without him. Regardless, this is just, I don't know. We don't need to spend seven, eight minutes on this, but I at least wanted to bring it up because I thought this was irregular behavior. And uh listen, players, if you want to feel empowered to do this, it gives us something to talk about. It certainly makes it interesting. But my goodness, you want to talk about something that prompts an emergency meeting among a staff or a team. It's, it's something like this where you don't air... You don't air the laundry in this kind of way, but the tenor in a locker room, the environment for college athletes now is certainly not what it was five years ago, let alone like 20, 25 years ago when this kind of thing, obviously Twitter didn't exist, but like this just didn't happen in any regard. Not saying say it shouldn't happen, but I just can't believe that he got suspended for it. And it was like, you know what? It's time to quadruple down.
1: Yeah. I, you know, there might be a lesson in here for college coaches about how to handle things. I'm sure you had these conversations with coaches all the time. Um, you know, I I do as well. Like, Hey, if you were, um, in my shoes, what would you do about this? How would you talk about this? What would you say about this? I've had these conversations with coaches before. And so you look at what just happened at Arizona state. And in theory that that could happen anywhere because all these guys are on social media now, you know, that once upon a time in a different era, you know, a college basketball player couldn't say something publicly unless. They were on TV or on radio or talking to a reporter. Now you just jump on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to be and say whatever you want to say. And so it's a different dynamic. So if you look at what just happened at Arizona State and you're a different coach or even Bobby Hurley, and you say, OK, uh, how could we avoid that? Because I'm assuming what happened here is Bagley. He's been banged up, hurt his entire college career. He's probably reading stuff on social media. Oh, this guy's a bum. He's never healthy. What is the point? He can't play. Here he is, not playing again. And he was compelled to say, I want to play. I'm healthy enough to play. The truth is I just popped off to my coach and I'm suspended. And that's why I'm being, that's why I'm not playing. He was compelled to tell the his version of the truth. Because in the absence of a statement, speculation fills that void and it doesn't reflect well on Bagley. So if if I'm a co- if I'm looking at this and going, okay, how can we avoid this type of thing in my program? I might look at this and go, okay, if we're really going to hold somebody out of games because for for any reason, we need to address it and like actually release a statement. You know, uh, Marcus Bagley is is has been suspended indefinitely for a violation of team rules. Just leave it at that. You don't have to expand on it. But then Bagley's not compelled to jump on Twitter and explain that he's not hurt or explain that he wants to play because the explanation for why he's not playing is out there. He violated a team rule. Keep it that vague. Um, and so, you know, it, it. it is what it is, but it's obviously less than ideal. When you're a, a college basketball coach, particularly one who is, um, you know, coaching with real job pressure, then – uh
2: You tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a wild one. I did check his feed. He has since deleted the athletes, please, please, please tweet, but he still has up. I was just suspended for this tweet for admitting I made a mistake. Um, just, uh, yeah, kind of wild. Before we preview Wednesday, I also didn't want to get out of Tuesday without at least giving a shout. We'll talk about him plenty more in the season to come. Chris Murray had 31 points and 20 boards along with four assists and two blocks in Iowa's win. A developing potential All-American situation there. We did expect Chris Murray to be good this season, but I, did, I wrote something to the effect in the preseason where it's was like, it's unreasonable to expect Chris Murray to be as good as his brother Keegan. Maybe it's not.
1: <laughs> this Maybe is bananas, bananas by, by the way. Like, you have two role players turn into all Americans in back-to-back years, and they happen to be brothers.
0: Yeah. I mean, on a certain level, it's like, yeah. The dude just looks just like him. You didn't think you should be surprised at this? I am a little surprised. Iowa destroyed Georgia Tech. Chris Murray is off to a tremendous start. Man, we've had a... just. You know, this is the last day of November here, and we have had... A variety of, as GP mentioned before, just stuff you can't see coming. It's been a really fun November between the te- like a lot of good teams, the performances, All-American candidates right now. I, I have not been let down whatsoever by the first... After, you know, we told you on the pod, like the first week of the season was a little rough because there weren't really high-profile matchups. But as expected, because the games that were already uh, cemented on the schedule and the way that these multi-team events were going to unfold, we got so many... Really, really good matchups in true home slash road environments and in MTEs. But right now, I mean, you look up and down and across, you've got, you know, Houston's now number one for the first time since Wan uh, and Drexler were there. Texas is undefeated. Virginia, UConn, Purdue all look really, really good. Arizona's yet to lose. Alabama looked good when I saw them out in Portland there. Creighton's played up to it. Illinois has been good. Kansas still there. Maryland, we mentioned them. Auburn's yet to lose, you know. And that's not before you even get to um, stuff like... What's Indiana going to be? What's North Carolina going to be? And so, with that, let's talk real quick on on Wednesday night because this is the final year of the ACC Big Ten Challenge um, because you know the Big Ten's now moving off of ESPN. This was an expected deal. ACC SEC are going to. I don't know if you touched on this on the pods uh, Monday GP or not, but that's going to be the new thing going forward there. So this is the last. I believe this is the last night. I don't think there's anything Thursday. And the biggest games are Ohio State at Duke, but really the biggie, biggie is UNC at Indiana Uh, real quick on Carolina, just since I just saw them in person in Portland and then uh, take it away here. I saw UNC and Duke Um, UNC. What's what's interesting to me about this team. And I'm, I'm calling a lot of this from speaking to Hubert Davis after uh, basically each of the games, Hubert has no panic yet. I don't fault him for that approach. Uh, I'm going to trust that. That's the right thing. Now, maybe behind closed doors, he's more forceful, but I asked him why he wasn't showing any concern and having nothing but straight optimism, and he essentially said, because that's who I am. That's who I've always been, and why would I like why would I be discouraged by this? Now, this is after UNC goes one and two with the number one ranking and obviously has some, like, the Alabama game was a weird result. Like, at a certain point, you get to four OTs, and it almost feels random who wins, but UNC didn't win. You know, becomes the second UNC team ever to be number 1 and lose back-to-back games as the number one ranked team in the country there. They need more urgency. Had a really good sit down with Leaky Black shouts to him. Uh, as we mentioned uh, on last Friday's episode I guess, but he had mentioned like he's a we cannot come out and not have urgency. Like sometimes I feel like we're we're out there and I'm trying to connect with my teammates and we're just we're just flat. So big time environment on Wednesday night at Indiana No, this is not Indiana hosting Kentucky in 2012. It's not at that level, but, you know, it might be a notch or two below that. Like, Indiana's trying to have a signature victory under its its new coach, Mike Woodson, and they've got a really good opportunity. This is a wonderful head-to-head matchup between Baycott and Trace Jackson Davis, two preseason All-American players there. Baycott sat down the stretch of that game against Alabama, in part because I think he was... uh, I think he tweaked his ankle a little bit, had a little bit of wind to him. And also, Nance was just better at defending at the five, Davis said. Caleb Love's shot selection is concerning at this point. Yeah, like he he's a bit YOLO out there. Sometimes it pays off. But the more I watch UNC, the more I think, man, just get the ball in R.J. Davis's hands and let him cook a little bit there. I want to see how much the bench can develop overall. This is a super intriguing game. Carolina fans are probably about ready to slam the panic button if they haven't already, because of the loss to Iowa State and the loss to Alabama. I think both those teams wind up in the tournament. So from a resume standpoint, they were on neutral courts. They won't reflect badly. It's how they lost the games, and it's the fact that UNC, you know, had some struggles against Wilmington. Had, it got pushed by Charleston, had some issues with Gardner-Webb. Those were all at home, and then it got pushed until the final 90 seconds against Portland at PK-85. Now you're on the road against Indiana, and you're on the road against Virginia Tech after this, so it's not inconceivable UNC could be 5-4. and four. That's why I think this game on Wednesday night means way more for UNC than it does Indiana. If Indiana were to lose this game, it would be its first loss of the season. Yeah, you'd lose it on your home floor, but Carolina going in, was expected to be the better team. The margins might not have been that great, GP, but certainly expected to be the better team. I'm fascinated to see how this one plays out, how it looks. They have different styles. Carolina's got to be better defensively. What are your uh, expectations and just overall thoughts on on that game being the biggest one here on Wednesday night?
1: It is undeniably the biggest game. Um, It's two blue blood programs, one of which um, was the preseason number one in the AP poll. North Carolina went from one to eighteen in a week. And that is the largest drop for a number one team in the history of the associated press top 25 poll. Oh, damn. They, uh, started five and zero, but like you and I talked about, it was a shaky five and zero. they trailed in four of those five games. And then they lost, um, two straight, uh, in Portland to an Iowa state team. That's probably better than we thought. And to an Alabama team that is, you know, clearly good. So they're sitting here at five and two, and I thought this was interesting because uh, I talked to Chris Batola on my radio show earlier in the week. He, uh, obviously, great college basketball analyst at at ESPN, and I asked him, like, do you have any, um, you know, theories on what is wrong with with North Carolina? Because this coach has proven he can he can have a great team. Did that last season. These players. Armando Bacot, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Leaky Black—they have proven that they can be starters on a great team. They did it last season. Um, I know Brady Manic's not there, but Pete Nance has been fine. Like Pete Nance is fine. He's he's maybe not Brady Manic, but he's not a problem. So what, what what is why is North Carolina off to an uneven start again? And Chris said, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, he didn't want to get into too many specifics about North Carolina, but it, just broadly speaking, he said when you when you do what that team did last season, which is not only make a national championship game, but they were up big. They probably should be national champions. I mean, Kansas was amazing in that second half, but when you're up as big as North Carolina's up, you're supposed to win that game. Again, at, at halftime, North Carolina was favored to win the national championship. And then you lose it, but man, you were close. And you bring back all these guys who could have reasonably left, but they all come back. You know, he, he suggested that sometimes you can have some, you know, like there's some things to work through, you know, th- th- you know th- about sh- you know, shots and everything else, that you can run into things that might be a problem now that weren't necessarily problems a year ago because people change name, image, and likeness is a real thing. Um, you know, just all of these things, you throw them in a pot, mix them up, you know, you, you can get some issues. So that's the, the non-basketball stuff. The basketball stuff is mostly on the defensive end of the court. You know, when Carolina got good last season, they, they, they were really guarding at a high level. They're, they're not right now. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about all off season, because it, after Carolina wins, uh, loses a couple of games in Portland, people were immediately like, see, this is just a team that got hot in the NCAA tournament, and you all fell for it. And that's just not reality. That's not what happened. They were 6-1, and one, Carolina was last season, in their last seven games before Selection Sunday. That included a win at Duke. They were getting good well before Selection Sunday. And then they went eleven and two in the final seven weeks of the season, six and one before Selection Sunday, five and one in the NCAA tournament. So they went eleven and two over a seven-week span. That's not the biggest sample size in the world, but it's not just the NCAA tournament either. So I'm not giving up on this team. Um, I I think you'd be crazy to do it, given what happened last year. Like February came, and they, you know, middle of February they flipped a switch and they got good, and they stayed good. We're still two months before we even get to February. This, this season is long. So I, I still believe in this team uh, long-term, but I do think the most likely scenario is that they lose at Indiana on Wednesday night, and then the preseason number one is on a three-game losing streak with another, I believe, let me double-check this, mm-hmm. tough game coming up after that, yeah, at Virginia Tech, indeed, indeed. Uh, so UNC, I, UNC could could by this time next week be on a four game losing streak, which is, I, I, again, won't be time to panic. Ah, uh, it won't. I, I don't
0: five know. and four. Dude, oh, I, come I, on, man. I panicked on them last season, and- but, they, but as I wrote, I think this was my final notebook. UNC did not have this kind of. If that happens, if they go, and uh, who the hell knows, man? Maybe it's two two-point losses, and they're competitive as hell and really entertaining games, and like the play is inspiring. But they did not have a stretch like this specifically at any point last season. That's the only thing. That's the, that's the difference is if it happens. UNC never lost more than two in a row last season, and it did have wins. At least You know, it did beat Michigan. Now, that was in Chapel Hill, but it did get that win in the ACC Big Tech Challenge a year ago. It was able to do that. It struggled against all the other power conference teams it played But it didn't have a dip like this at any point a season ago. I don't know. We'll see. Hubert Davis also made this point to me in that last season's team is not this season's team. Just because a lot of the guys that are returning are familiar. And there is something to be said for that. Like, I think there is something viable and real about this idea that a season ends Guys kind of go their own ways throughout April and May, and they come back for a summer session in June, a little of July. They get to know each other. Guys get better, but they got to learn. Like you're just learning how to be a team again. And it's not just automatic that things are going to absolutely click there. So I, I hear a lot of what Hubert is selling with all of that. But at the same time, c- c- come on, man. You've got a, a guy who should make an NBA paycheck, should, and Caleb Love. Uh, A preseason All-American in Armando Baycott. R.J. Davis has not shot the ball well yet so far this season, but extremely competent. Leaky Black, Davis himself, now he's his coach, but he's saying he thinks he's the best defender in the country. And even if that's not true, Leaky Black is unquestionably a top five to ten defender in in America. And Pete Nance has provided shooting at this level from a a success rate that's better than what Manic was. So even if this season team is not last season's team, and damn, I feel like we're spending a Friday segment on a Wednesday episode, but we'll see what happens here. Um, they they should be a, a, just a little more consistent than this. It's 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 just the devil's in the details overall. You're taking Indiana. This isn't going to be a final four and one pick officially, but I, I am took, taking and I took it for the site, too. I am picking Carolina to get this done. Urgent moment on the road. Uh, I'd like to see them come out with a, a real good purpose. I think the game will be terrific. I think it'll be close. Don't know if any team will lead by more than six or seven points the whole night. And I will take UNC in a, in a narrow win. I
1: can't stay in these YouTube comments.
0: I'm not, I'm not even looking right now. I'm on a roll.
1: All <laughs> right, let me address one thing. Oh, gosh. It's,
0: um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Let, let's let's embrace that. We, we want more comments. Well, maybe if you insult the commenters, it'll inspire more. people. I, I want
1: more intelligent comments. I got no time for the stupid okay. stuff. So this, this guy, he says UNC was an eight seed last year, no matter how many times GP tries to say they were good. They were an eight seed last season because what you do in November, December, January impacts your seed for the NCAA tournament. UNC was bad. For much of last season, getting blown out over and over and over again. All I've ever said is that they got good, really good, and it happened before the NCAA tournament. I've already given you all the numbers. They went six and one in their final seven before Selection Sunday, 11 and two in their final 13 games of the season. In that seven week stretch, four weeks happening before the NCAA tournament. They performed like a top three team in the country, according to Ken Palm. I mean, according to BartTorvik.com, the only teams that were better in that seven-week stretch were Kansas and Texas Tech. So I repeat, Carolina got great last season, and it didn't happen only in the NCAA tournament. That is all I've ever said. Stop right. being dumb.
0: Okay, fair enough. Let me tee you up real quick on the rest of them and then we'll get the heck out of here. Michigan State's going to play at Notre Dame here on Wednesday night. Sparty is down. Malik Hall has a stress reaction, not a stress fracture, a stress reaction. So he's out uh, for now. Uh, we'll see if Jaden Akins plays in this one. If Izzo has said in the previous 24 hours uh, that that's the case, I just missed it. Um, I've got a Sean Miller feature I've been working on that'll be up later on on Wednesday keep a lookout for that maybe we'll touch on it briefly on the Friday episode but I missed it if Izzo said he would be available or not MSU barely got out against Portland on Sunday at the PK 85 so just keep an eye on that 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 game is going to run concurrent on ESPN 2 to the UNC Indiana game It is absolutely a two-screen Wednesday night just vintage ACC Big Ten challenge stuff here kind of a a fitting way for this series to go out Rutgers at Miami is a 715 tip also worthwhile because both those could be tournament teams Rutgers going on the road in this spot you know neither of these teams have Miami had some relatively high profile games buried on a on a busy weekend there Rutgers hasn't played anyone of note other than obviously uh, a close win over UMass Lowell shouts to Elvis but to this point you know a good a good test for both of those I'm very intrigued about that game want to see what happens I want to see what happens there Uh, Providence is at TCU that's just Big East Big 12 Um, keep an eye I don't know Providence hasn't been Hasn't been uh, terrific so far. Hasn't had a win over a projected tournament team. So that's another one to watch. That's an 8 o'clock tip. And then uh, just close here on Ohio State-Duke. Since I saw Duke real quick, takeaways on them after seeing them at, at PK-85. I think Duke will win this game. I actually have a. I have plenty of questions about Ohio State to this point. It went 2-1 in Maui. Got a good win over Texas tech in, well, I guess that was a third-place game, I guess. They beat Cincinnati, lost to SDSU. So, a nice start for Chris Holtman's team. This is a tough spot. Of course, you'll remember a year ago, this matchup was flipped. Duke lost on the road against Ohio State. To this point, Shire told me that after the loss against Purdue, when it wasn't even competitive and to me that was more about Purdue than Duke but Shire as we were walking out to the team bus he said they've had one practice so far with the entire team available one practice just one one practice with everyone available i do think that has real impact first year coach they're still young lively's getting there like i actually thought he uh, i thought he played with good spirit overall i mean they got romped but he played with good spirit considering the opponent against purdue Kyle Filipowski has been and continues to be the most important player so far, but I maintain, and I can't remember if I said this on the Friday show or not. I know I wrote about it. It cannot just be Roach and Whitehead, uh, Roach and uh, Filipowski. They're going to eventually need Whitehead and they'll need uh, some more from Tyrese Proctor. They're just not there yet. It's completely reasonable considering the issues they had in the offseason. They were kind of thrown on to the on-ramp were Whitehead and and, and Lively. And there's something to be said for, you know what, if you're on the floor, if you're playing, you're playing. Don't want to hear it. But the reality is like, they just are not all the way there in terms of game shape. I'm I'm waiting to see between those two and Proctor, who really has the big breakout game. Mark Mitchell, I think he will be a very good, if inconsistent, starter. I don't want to say role player because that's that's not what I think he'll be. But um, he will be. I, he will have some moments, but I don't think that they can. I don't think if Duke is going to be an ACC challenger. It can't. I don't think it can be Mitchell as the third option. That's just having seen Duke up in close in person over the weekend. There, Ryan Young has been great, and I give Shire credit for this. And I don't know if you touched on this on the Monday pod or not. Apologies if you did. I just wanted to hit on it since I saw him and just kind of emptying the notebook here. Shire did not play Whitehead or Lively down the stretch. He went with Ryan Young, Northwestern transfer. He went with Jalen Blake's. You know, kind of the bulldog to come off the bench. On This team guy who barely saw minutes a season ago. He's going with those guys. He's going with the roster. He thinks gives them the best chance at being competitive at being winning a winning team. It's not there yet. Home court tonight. We'll see insanely good offensive rebounding team. They Shire has coached them up tremendously well there and I actually think they've got a good chance to be improved defensively GP Um, intriguing one. I will take Duke to win. Why not? Just pick the game. Who do you think will win and what are your expectations of this one?
1: I think cuz we did pick the game for cbsports.com. I did pick Duke to win but Ohio State to cover. I think it'll be close. I think that's what I did. Sometimes I say I did things and I look back and I go I didn't really do that at all. But I think what I did was pick Duke to win at home, um Ohio State to cover. But like Duke is Duke is shaky right now. You know, it, it's, I can't say anything about the Blue Devils that I haven't said before. You know all of the preseason expectations were attached to Derek Lively being the best freshman big in the country, and derek Whitehead being terrific right from the jump. Like if you're gonna take you know two of those top three prospects in the class and you know through the early part of the season, they're giving you nothing. It's hard to be good teams. Like if I would have told you, heading you know into December, Jeremy Roach is Jeremy Roach. Philipowski's better than 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 most people thought he'd be. But Lively's giving you nothing. White has given you nothing. You'd be like, I bet Duke's not very good then. And that's why Duke. I'm not saying they're not very good. I don't want to put it that harshly, but they certainly aren't operating at the level their preseason rankings suggested should be the case it is early and they're young and there's still a lot of time to get that right. But in this moment, until lively and whitehead are giving them the stuff that they were supposed to give them. I think things are going to be hard for Duke against quality opponents.
0: Would agree. Uh, It might take them a little bit more. And one last thing from, uh, from Shire was like, we like, we, I'm going to paraphrase him here. This isn't a direct quote, but it was, you know, the reality is like because we've only had one practice together as a full time. Like we need, we need a little more time, but we don't have time. Like, and I don't want to be going through the entire season saying we need more time to figure it out. But Ohio State here, they open ACC play at home against Boston College, should be win, but it is league play, so that that carries significance in, in that locker room. And then next week, six days from now, it's going to be Iowa and the Jimmy V. I'll be there for that. So uh, keep an eye. We'll have no shortage of things to react from based off of what we see Wednesday night across the challenges, but particularly with those Carolina blue bloods Duke and UNC and how they perform one on the road and one at home. We
1: ready to get out of here. I got to go see what my dog's been barking at for the past hour.
0: We will get out of here. Just uh, let me just uh, completely just uh, get everything off. T- Creighton is at Texas on Thursday. We will also react to that on Friday. Obviously that's a, a very, very big game. Uh, Arizona plays at Utah. Maybe that's a little bit sneaky so that we will not have a shortage of things to talk about and react to. On Friday, based off of a, a decent Thursday night slate as well, and then in Portland, had an, uh, a, a few folks come up, say hello, love the pod, get some photos, and I don't know your name, sir, but shouts to the man who, after I don't remember which game it was, but I was in Veterans Memorial Coliseum. I can't remember which one, but he's no doubt it must be listening now. L- appeared to be a man in his late thirties, maybe early forties, close to our age. I'd say uh, I'd say this man was with his son of. I don't know, 11 or 12? Tough to tell. And his son uh, was one of us. And uh, and I'm, I'm making my way off the floor, going back into the bowels of the arena to, to talk to some coaches. And then, uh, you know, as I'm doing that, I hear Norlander! Norlander! And I see this guy, and you see this? He's right there. And I'm like, oh, here we go. He goes, one of us! Uh, yes. <laughs> Four of us! More of us, and I was like, "That's right, sir." And that is your child. And uh, does he know what you are talking about? Is he listening to this podcast right now? We do love our listeners. Appreciate everyone, and uh, actually met a few listeners who are who are YouTubers. They, they actually uh, literally consume the show on their on their TVs as they're uh, doing stuff around the house. So we appreciate all of you always. That was really nice to uh, get to see some folks out there in portland the seating was so casual like i wasn't sitting on media row for most of the time because you'd walk in and while some of the games were decently attended like inevitably like the first three rows there would just be seats wide open i'd sit next to a scout here i'd just do my thing i'd have my laptop out so because of that i opened myself up to uh folks coming and saying hello which i obviously uh welcome and enjoy so uh so thanks to everyone who said hi in portland great event and uh, appreciate it let's get the hell out of here
1: Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Larnell and Hook. Thank you guys for listening to the Allen College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Apple. Five stars, nice review, type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. It needs to be reflected in the comments. More of us than there are of them. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, knock that out. And we're going to talk to you again Friday morning... Can't wait. Till then, take care. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.